Welcome Diversity Disruptors. I'm super excited about this session today because guess who's in the hot seat? I am. This is an interview with my good friend Susie Petrozzi on her podcast Empowering Conversations. We talk about everything that's impacting women and also impacting all the gender issues in the workplace. Everything from why can't we keep them, what can we do to attract them, we talk about parental leave, I talk about the importance of really getting the men in the organization and our leaders just educated on these issues. And of course, you know, I have my great takeaways at the end of this session. So let's just dive right in. Welcome to Empowered Conversations. I'm your host, Susie Petrozzi. This podcast will take you on a journey of personal growth and self-discovery through conversations with special guests that will inspire you to live the life of your dreams. Get ready now for an Empowered Conversation. So welcome to Empowered Conversations. It's another week and we are in August 2020 and gosh, does the world look very different to start of the year. I hope you're all doing well wherever you are. Um, wherever you might be listening in from. Let's get started with today's Empowered Conversation. I'm excited to be speaking with an old colleague of mine. So we collaborated back in 2016 as part of the Empowered Woman Training Summit. I'm excited to have Sable Badaki with us. Uh, and I'll share just a li- little bit about Sable's background and why I really wanted to speak to her today. So Sable has over 20 years of domestic and international human resource experience in corporate and consulting and she specializes in providing practical solutions to organizations in building, attracting, and retaining diverse teams to improve bottom line results. Her experience spans not just across the US, but also several other countries in Africa, in both the public and private sector, in several industries, including finance, telecommunications, banking, manufacturing, to name a few. And really, she's at the core of leading diversity initiatives for many companies. She's done so for Fortune 100, focusing on improving race and gender to reflect companies' global customer base, just to name some of the things that she's doing. So, Sable, welcome. Thank you so much. So great to connect with you again. I cannot believe it's been four years. It's been four years, right? Where has the time gone? And back then, we were talking about kind of different but similar things. You know, when I reflect back on our summit, I feel like, you know, maybe back then what we were doing was, yeah, we were passionate about providing training for empowering women, but it now it's like we're at the core of this. We're at the core of change. Then it was about educating women, giving women tools, but we're at the core of change but also disruption. So, mm-hmm. Maybe share a little bit with us today about your own journey to how you've come to do the work that you do and that you're so passionate about. So a lot of my work has been, you know, over the years with women. When we were talking before on the summit, we were talking to working moms and helping them pretty much sort out their journey at work after they return back to work, a lot of the struggles that working moms will have. And so over the years, I continue to work with moms and continue to work with women and push different agendas. And so what we kind of what I've seen from just being in so many different rooms, because during that time we were also working with companies, is that a lot of times you would work in that room and I was the only person that looked like me in that room and that would be between race and gender. So you're sitting there talking about some of the issues that are affecting women 
to some men who are just like, wow, that's, you know, really sorry to hear that, but not really understanding how important it was to make that switch for women. Or you're talking to women and you're saying that, you know, make these adjustments and they want to make those adjustments, but yet they're still petrified. Am I going to be able to hold my job? Am I going to get that promotion? And so, you know, there's a lot of mommy bias that's happening in corporations where women are just, you know, counted out once they have children before they even count themselves out. And so what we decided what to do is just really speak to now the people who are really in a position to start making the adjustments. And so we really spent a lot more of our time talking to the people, to the HR people, to the diversity people who are actually supporting companies and making the adjustments to practices and strategies and policies to make things better for women in the workplace. So we just decided to take that conversation to a different audience who now who really create the tools for women to succeed. I mean, women wanted to succeed, but this culture wasn't there. The infrastructure wasn't there for them to succeed. So that's pretty much where we have shifted in our journey. And it's as a result of what we have seen in the rooms that we constantly were sitting in. So, You know, like when I think about all of that and when I think about changes, broadly speaking, whether it be in what we're talking about, whether it be in anything else, any aspects of our lives, you know, oftentimes some of these big changes start with the small changes that we can potentially underestimate. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the changes, the small changes that you can speak to in terms of that you're implementing within organizations that not necessarily being like, I know you mentioned policies, procedures, even within that. I mean, what are these? I mean, we can do simple things. If we're talking about in the workplace, when it comes to women, we have now like maternity leave. Well, maternity leave is a very biased policy towards women. So we're saying that, okay, uh, women, you have a baby. So yes, you should have some time off. And it sounds like, Wow, that's great that a company does that. But what about the dad? Should he not have time off? So once we're only giving it to one person and saying that, well, she's a mother and she has to be home and that's her job, that's what she's designed to do, and we ignore the father, then if something tells that person that, well, she's not going to be able to be doing her job as well. But if we gave parental leave where everyone could participate in taking time off to nurture and to grow this child, then we wouldn't necessarily see it as a woman has kind of opt out of the workplace or she's taking time off because everybody is doing it. So that's just a simple thing. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things as we're working with women, we're working with women also with transgender women and non-binary women. And when we look in our organizations, when we see we still have female and male bathrooms, that's also a challenge to a person who is transgender, especially who's not fully transitioned, or a person who is non-binary, a non-binary person is a person who is not, you know, has not said I'm a man or a woman. And so they don't know what restroom to use. And so those are very simple things, I mean, that we can do in our organizations that's not going to take, you know, thousands or hundreds and, you know, large budgets to do to make some adjustments to actually have a workplace where women can actually thrive, all women. Mm, it's interesting, isn't it? When you go into an organization, where does the conversation start from? Is it or start with, is it with executives, team leaders, or is it also with employees? Some of our conversations are actually with the influencers, the leaders who are actually going to be implementing the policies. Mm. 
for the employees. And so what we're doing is talking to the leaders and saying, okay, your retention, your engagement, where are you lacking? So the first thing, you know, companies start to put their hands up is when they're looking at their retention. When they realize that there's a group of people that constantly are walking out the door, that's a problem. When you have programs in place for attracting even, you know, people, women of color, and you're starting to see that they come in, but they're going out or they come in and are not promoted. And so those are the times when, you know, we're called to come and start supporting organizations because they can't figure out why are we not able to retain or why are we not able to attract, which is also, you know, it's one thing to get someone in the organization, you have to keep them. But sometimes, you know, organizations are having a hard time even attracting and bringing people in as well. Mm. And is that because of their own bias? Is that because of just lack of, you know, that awareness, education? Or is it all of those factors? And a lot of it is just simple of, I mean, anything, if you want to fish for a particular fish, you have to go to that pond, right? Mm. Um, So if you want to change who you're hiring, then you have to change how you hire. So for instance, you know, one of the things we say, you know, it's insanity to keep doing the same thing, thinking as getting the and expect a different result. Yeah. So the same thing here, how can you expect to hire more women? How can you expect to bring more women into your organization if you're not going to where the women are? And especially in this same time, when there's so many organizations and professional organizations that are women in technology, women in energy, women in STEM, women in aviation. So here you have a, a room full of women for whatever your industry is that is looking for career opportunities why not go there, you know, and let yourself be known? But we still keep think we're going to put something on LinkedIn and someone's going to LinkedIn and someone's going to discover us or our local newspaper and hope that woman discovers us. Or why are we not having, even in our communication and our ads that we're putting out to attract women, why are we only showing men when we have our videos and our ads? So, so many different things that we're not doing mm-hmm. as organizations to say, we really do want women here. Mm-hmm. And it could be because one, we this is what we always have done. Two, there's only men sitting in the room making those decisions. So they don't even realize that women are absolutely absent. They just know that it's a good idea to have them. And so those kind of things kind of get in the way of it. Yeah. It, as you say, it's systemic. I yeah. think you mentioned in the videos. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's already in the system. This is how we, we do it. Studies have shown that sometimes they'll see a woman's name for a particular job. And all of a sudden there was, oh, you know, for some reason there was one study with a police commissioner and they gave out resumes and they looked at the resumes. And and so it was the same person basically. And they just kind of made some adjustments and they were like, oh, um, Bill. And, you know, let's just say Susie and was the other name. And so she had a lot of education and not as much as experience as Bill, and he had a lot of experience and not a lot of education. And so they were like, oh, you know, so definitely experience is so much more important. And that's why. So Bill was chosen to be police commissioner. And so then they now had like some blind CVs, resumes, and the information was kind of like switched. And just before they chose, they now like switched it and kind of put the woman's name now on the experience and the man's name on the education. And they're like, oh, education is really going to be important for this kind of job. And so it just shows like there's that bias that's already there. And, you know, we like to say it's unconscious bias. I, I think sometimes it's not unconscious bias. It's just we know who we want. It's, I call it more it's like confirmation bias. It's like that, that guy looks like me. And so if he 
if his name is Bill and I'm Bill, then or then I know he can do the job versus really what we're looking at, you know, in terms of the resume. And those are structures that we we really need to work through. We need to stop asking for chronological resumes because things like that for women who take time out from work because of children, they're penalized. So we have to explain where was I for five years. If I didn't have a chronological resume, I won't have to explain where I was for five years exactly. taking care of raising my children. Yeah. So what do you say to women when it comes to that? I mean, a lot of women will doubt themselves or feel a little insecure around entering the market after having kids. What do you say to women around that? I think when you're looking for an organization, you want to look for a gender-friendly organization. And it's, you know, how do you know that? Like, look who's heading their diversity. Look who's heading their HR. Look where, how many women they have on their board. How many women do they have in their senior leadership? Um, What are their senior leadership saying in their tweets, in their social media, in their conversations that they're making publicly in their speeches about diversity and gender diversity? Um, What policies do they have in place? That's how you're going to know if that organization is friendly to women. And really, you cannot erase the fact that you were home taking care of your children. It's nothing that we should not be ashamed of. Why do I have to be ashamed and hide it and try to say I was, you know, volunteering with the PTA and put that down as, you know, what I was doing for the five years? We were doing very notable work. I mean, for five years of raising our children when we were not working. Why is that not a skill? There's lots of skills that go on multitasking, right? (laughs) You know, emotional intelligence, knowing when that child's going to cry or not cry. So there's a lot of things that we have built in skills during that time that are so discounted. Yeah. Sable, thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, because it's not the traditional you know, we didn't get it at a company. We didn't get it at an organization or in a workplace. Mm -hmm. I think as women, all of a sudden it's being ignored. Yeah, thank you. I really want to pause, take a moment and just acknowledge that, that as you're saying, Sable, like there's a whole wealth of experience. There are millions in that. Our millions are in, for those that have had kids, you know, in the motherhood, in staying up, in nursing that baby at night, being available 24 hours, like that is training that surpasses any kind of MBA or whatever the (laughs) heck, you know, (laughs) they value on the resume or used to. Um, As women, we need to own that. We need to really own that experience and value it and see it, break it down and really see what it's given to us. What I was curious about is... And when you do work with companies around diversity, inclusion, what makes those companies stand out that really get on with the program, that really are able to incorporate some of the things that you work on when it comes to diversification? What makes them different to those that kind of are lagging behind? One of the things, of course, you know, they have a checkbook to support what they're talking about. So if you don't fund it, it can't happen. So it's one thing to say we want to make a change, but if you're not funding it, then there's very little change that you're going to do. So if it's just a volunteer um, role that you have given it to someone, if it's a role that, you know, you're expecting your human resource groups to kind of sort that out, then they're not being very serious about it. Again, when you talk about leadership, what are the leaders saying about this? If it's something that is a checkbox for them, look at their growth. You know, what are their initiatives around diversity and inclusion? And what proactive steps, you know, are they taking to close the gaps, you know, all the the various gaps of the various 
communities of the different identities that are being marginalized? What active, proactive steps and plans are they doing? So it's one thing, you know, just to say you bring someone in to do a training. It's more than just a training. It is a two-pronged approach. It has to be cultural. They have to attack the culture and make the hearts happy and the minds happy to really understand that there needs to be a shift on how you view Black people in your organization, how you view Asian people, how you view people in the LGBTQ community uh, differently able. There has to be a shift. There has to be education and awareness, and that's all part of the culture. But then you have to look at your policies and say, where are we closing the door? And so when companies are saying, come in and do a training, and then that's it, you know, they raise their hands and like, well, we've done what we could, then that's an organization who's not really ready to change. But when they're really ready, they will have, they'll put the resources behind their words. Yeah. Yeah. There's integrity in what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sable, I'm curious about your own journey. Um, when I come back to you now in terms of back to when you started to now, what have been the biggest lessons for you, you know, to, I guess, to be prominent in your own field and to own your own worth in what you're doing and in your own skills and capabilities? What have you had to learn and had to overcome? You know, the, the saying is you don't know what you don't know. And um, especially in the, the, this diversity and inclusion world, which is changing so rapidly, right? I remember when I first started diversity, it, that was just what the, it was called diversity. All we wanted to do was get women in some seats. <laughs> that's yeah. what we try to do. We're like, let's just hire women and then that's it. And then we woke up and we realized, wow, we need to have uh, people of color. And so it's just been such an evolving thing and you have to stay open. I mean, now we talk about not just diversity. We know it's important to have different points of view and different people in our organization, but we also recognize now how valuable it is to be have equity and realize that we all don't come in at the same place. We now have to see what can we do to make this situation equitable for a person who not necessarily is coming to the starting line and doesn't have the same pathway or runway in front of them. And then inclusion, how when we get this person in there, are we going to make them feel included? And now there's a conversation around belonging. How do we get that person to belong to the organization? And there's another conversation even around justice. So it's definitely very evolving. Um, It's not stagnant. And so therefore, I think for me, it's constantly, constantly learning. Just, you know, you're just have to be a student. You have to always continue to have yourself in a position of a student and learn. Mm, Yeah, I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And the minute that we think we know something, we've closed the door on that, haven't we? On on the learning. Mm. More learning, more opportunities. Yeah. And, And you're right. Like there's so much, there is so much to consider now. It's almost like the floodgates have opened. And and yeah. they and rightfully so, they need to open. It can be overwhelming for leaders sometimes because yeah. it requires a com- complete shift in, in habitual thinking, habitual way of doing things. But, you know, one of the things that stood out for me when I, when I was on Instagram was coming across your video, which is how I came to ask you to be interviewed for our Empower Conversations, which was the interview called uh, how to protest, hang on, what was it? How we can protest being our best, is that right? Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. testing by being our best. And that was at at a time or, you know, well, this is still ongoing um, in the context of Black Lives Matters. But what's interesting about that video, and I'll get you to speak a bit about that, is that that was even wider. That was even bigger, bigger than just Black Lives Matters. It was so much more encompassing. So can you tell us a bit about that? What do you mean by that, protesting to be your best? Yeah, so what I talked about in the video, uh, where's your protest, is the fact that, you know, yes, we have a lot of people lining the streets on the Black Lives Matter. And sometimes people think, well, I can't be in a protest for whatever reason, right? Whatever reason. And so therefore I can't do anything. But we don't need everyone in the streets. We do need a certain group of people in the street to protest. I mean, we've had the Women's March, right? Mm -hmm. That was another march that we had. You know, we know historically there have been marches. The women suffered. So historically, civil rights movement. The, the for the LGBT community there has been so we know historically marches bring attention to issues, but we also need policies. Mm. So we need people who are lawyers to now write the policies for that. We also need allies in the workplace who, while people are trying to understand what this change is and what's going on, is supporting that person. We just need allies across. So some of the people who are actually on the protest are allies. They're supporting people, but they're not necessarily a Black person or African-American person, but they're there to support. And so what I'm saying is that where are you protesting against the injustices that you see? And not because you're on the street, but where are you using the skills, your sphere of influence, to let the people know about the injustices that you see, the injustices that are around you. And we cannot sit back, especially in this time of technology, and to try to accomplish things. Why are we not using the platforms that we have? Like you have this platform here. Why are we not using our voices to now talk about the things that we know need support? They need our influence, they need our resources, They need our intellect. You know, why are we not supporting him? So what I was saying there is that wherever your protest is, take it it there. If it's in the boardroom, you know, if you're sitting in that boardroom, you get to raise your hand and say, hey, you know, like, why is only white men sitting around at this table? I mean, Jeff Bezos makes a statement that if anyone doesn't agree with him on the Black Lives Matter then they don't have to buy anything from Amazon. Well, good for you, Mr. Jeff. I don't really, but look at your boardroom. So if you want to shake things up, don't just talk to your consumers, talk to your leadership. Why is your leadership looking the way it is? Your leadership is not different. So organizations, you know, so that's a place that we're not asking Jeff to hit the streets. So Jeff, hit your boardroom, do something in your boardroom. And so that's when we talk about where's your protest. Protest somewhere and make some changes about it. Yeah, yeah, I love that. The reason I love it is that it really, for me, connects to something that's truth within me, yeah, connects to a part of me that knows that's important to do. When we connect to that, though, it requires courage, yeah, to speak up about that and to, as you Mm -hmm. say, to risk having your voice heard, to have your mission heard. So you know, a kind of blatantly obvious question, (laughs) but how do we do that? You know, how do women do that in the boardroom when they may be afraid of 
you know, losing their position because, hey, I spoke up. What do you say to women about that so that they can be more courageous in speaking up, whether it be in the boardroom, whether it be somewhere else, and not just women, you know, different backgrounds, people who want to speak up about something that no one else is speaking up about? Yeah, and it's so difficult. I remember a breakfast. I'm going to tell a short story. I was at a breakfast. It was a women's professional group in that working breakfast, seven o'clock on, in the morning on, on Wednesday. So you got to be pretty serious about getting together. And so we're there. And these are all professional women, you know, with very, very bright women sitting at the table. And there was a junior woman, a woman who basically was a junior lawyer. And she says to the other lawyer, you know, in my firm, you know, women are getting around talking about how the fact that we're not getting the right briefs and, you know, that we want to talk about and we want to present it to the partners. And so she says to her, stay away from those groups. Don't get involved. Keep your head down and just do your work. Yeah, right. And I said to her, really, that's your best advice for her? We are sitting at this table at seven o'clock in the morning and not home making biscuits or whatever, and not that making biscuits is a bad thing, but we are out getting ready to go to work after this meeting because someone didn't keep their head down. Someone spoke up and said something and took the risk. And that's why we as women today have the platforms we did. So I asked her, how long will she keep her head down? And she said, well, once, and then they asked, well, when you get to the table, then you would speak. Of course you will not speak when you get to the table, because if you did not speak before you were sat at that table, you are so now petrified of losing your seat that you won't say anything there. So I think that we speak from the wherever we are. And when I say you speak, it's not like, you know, we're going to start a whole war wherever we are, but at least drop a seed, drop a seed and let people know like, well, this is my thoughts around that. They will either say, I don't agree with you. I agree with you, and you've dropped the seed. So if you don't feel courageous enough to, you know, make a whole movement, we're all not designed to make movements, but we can all drop a seed and just kind of say, well, I find it very strange that we continue to go to this school to recruit when this school has a less than 1% of diversity. Have we considered this school? They can do whatever they want with that, but at least you opened your mouth. But we tend not to do this. So I think, you know, use your courage and realize someone, someone put their life on the line. Someone could have lost their job. Someone put it all on the line. So we can sit down and enjoy the moment that we are enjoying right now. So, well, you've just reframed it all, haven't you? You've just put such a powerful reframe to and challenge our perspective to how we may be looking at things. And I'm including myself in it because surely somewhere I do, you know, also get caught up in certain biases. And it's so powerful when you say, what, you're going to wait to get to the seat and then speak up? You're not going to be speaking up then. You're not speaking up now. And that's so happy you're there. You're like, no, I don't want to lose this chair. Yeah, That is the metaphor for everything else in life, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to, you know, just where we are, just where we are. It could just be the five women that you invite over that you social distance with to kind of talk about what these issues are. Five women that you get on and have a Zoom call to talk about what the issues are and what you can do in your community. So it's not necessarily like, oh, you you know, you don't have to have this huge movement, but we can do something. Mm -hmm. We all can do a little and we can all do better. Yeah. Yeah. 
Huge. So I'm taking a moment here because I'm letting that reverberate through me, through my own being, but it's also, it's like, you know, take that in. Take that in, really. When you say that, that comes from every cell of your being. Every cell Mm. of your being comes from that place of truth, integrity, comes from a place of lived experience. And, you know, I almost feel like this is, this is like a natural kind of ending to a conversation in the way that this is where I want to leave it. <laughs> but before we do that. We'll leave it in Michelle Obama's words, better. <laughs> <laughs> do better. We can all do better. Yeah. To remind us that there's always more. There's always the next level. There's always that next I guess next expansion of our own awareness, next level of it of learning, which is going back to what you were saying, learning, being open. Yeah. To learn, that goes hand in hand. What I'm curious about is you have young girls, you have young women. How many? Yeah, women now. Women. How old are they? Um, they're now 21 and 20. One is already oh, finished awesome. university and one's in her last year. I know. It's, a lot has changed since our last conversation, yeah. So... Tell me this. I'm curious because I've got young girls, mine are only eight and ten. What kind of conversations are you having with your young women? It's very interesting because they're so much more aware and so much more open. Mm. So whatever openness I think I have or very flexible, I mean, they're, they're <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe you just said that. And I'm like, <laughs> did I say? And yeah, so our conversations are a lot around them. Just things that, you know, we think about how we thought about boys, you know, we were all kind of brought up that, you know, just do what you need to do so you can land him. And they're kind of like, I'm done, you know, I'm out of here. So they're just, (laughs) yeah, they're just so much more empowered. Yeah. Um, And I don't even think they even know it. They just like, this is who we are. Like people are people. Love is love. Why would I even think for one moment that I was less than anyone else? Like, and anyone who thinks of that, like, what's wrong with them? Like, what's their gig? Yeah. So what, lots of conversations around basically, you know, that there's a lot of power. So yeah, it's quite interesting. Quite, quite mm-hmm. interesting. It's a different generation. And one Very much. Can learn Very much. much yeah. From. Mm. yeah. I'm really happy to hear that. I'm really, that lights <laughs> my heart. These are the kind of women that we... Yeah, I look forward to um, seeing the kind of changes they're going to make in this world and the difference. Yeah. They're a lot more in tune to what's going on. Mm. I mean, if you think about some of the movements even right now, you know, here in the United States, I think it's the the Gen Z, I think it's the ones that call the Zoomers, how they are using social media to make movements. Mm. So I didn't know if you heard about it. So when there was like this huge conventions, you know, that President Trump was having, it was the Zoomers who now forged this thing and kind of came out with this whole movement that just caused this thing to just basically tank. Yeah, they've done that. They've come out against their parents in high political positions to say, don't vote for my dad. He's not who you think he is. Uh, My dad disgusts me because these are the things he says at home. So these younger ones are being more powerful. And if I think about out of both of the ones to criticize their dad, these were both young women, young women. Yeah. Wow. Good on them for standing (laughs) up for what they believe in, their own truth. 
So, yeah. so coming back to yeah. speaking our own truth um, really, again, goes hand in hand with that's going to help us to do better Yeah, as we continue to stay open and, and learn. Um, Sable, I'm forever grateful to you for having this conversation. <clears throat> it's really grounded me in something deeper. It's almost like I just need to take time to reflect on this powerful conversation, <laughs> this empowering conversation. Anything else that you want to share before we finish up? Any lasting tips? To- no, I, I love the work you're doing. We need to continue as women to, you know, have our voices heard, um, keep talking. We don't always get it right. We make mistakes. It's okay. I mean, that's why pencils have erases, right? We're always going to, you know, have some place where we stumble. Things are changing so fast for us. I mean, this time that we have, we should use it wisely. I know the world is upside down in places. It's a hurting time for a lot of people, people losing loved ones at a rate that we never expect to have, loved ones that we never expected to lose. The economies are hit bad. People's finances are really bad. But there's still time for us to sit back and kind of ask ourselves, how can I do better when the doors finally open? And not even when the doors open, what can I do right now in the seat where I am? Mm. Um, what privilege or that I have that I am not using to help someone who is not as privileged as I am. And so for me, even as an African-American woman who in the United States, basically am in two marginalized communities. And so I can't even hide myself, right? I mean, I walk in a room, you see that I'm um, a black person and you see that I'm a woman. So already, you know, that's like two communities I've identified But yet there's still opportunities and places of influence that I have. I still have fears and circles of influence. And I'm responsible to use those with my voice for those who still need someone to open the door for them. Mm, Thank you. And we can all do that. We can all do that. Thank you so much. Thank you for inspiring us in that way. And now with that inspiration, let's go and um, create that influence from wherever we are. Sable, thanks for joining me. I look forward to continuing our conversation at some stage. Well, thank you again for having me, Susie. My pleasure. That's a wrap. And thanks for joining us for the HR for Her podcast. And if you would like to find more ways for creating a workplace where the women in your organization will thrive, then go ahead and do two things. One, download our gender policy checklist at our site, hrforher.com, and find out how your company measures up. And two, subscribe now to our channel and leave a review. We would love to hear from you.